Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. Christian atheist. So we are starting a brand new series this week. Um, so it's a, a great Sunday to be here. But we, this is one of those things. It's a book that I read a long time ago. Um, but I always think about it kind of going into the holiday season because though our kind of the culture of our nation is changing here in the South, it's still very like during Thanksgiving and Christmas time, everybody is a Christian, right? And so the Christian atheist kind of intrigues me because. I lived that way for a long time, and that could be kind of a confusing statement, right? Christian atheist, that doesn't really make sense. But basically what it is, it's it's somebody who believes in God, but doesn't necessarily know him, right? They believe that, that there's a God out there, but when it comes to the intimate, serious, real parts of their life, you know, I'm going to trust my decision-making more than what the Bible says, right? And And even as a young believer as a minister in a Bible school, I found myself at this place. It wasn't until well into my second semester that I really had a moment of brokenness, which I'll talk about later, where God kind of entered into the whole of who I was, not just a part of who I was. So this whole series is going to be kind of diving into a real simple uh, place of letting God reach the deeper places of our lives. And and maybe it doesn't, maybe the, the message doesn't apply to you in one sense, but maybe it's somebody you know, somebody you know who, who you can pray for, that God would, would they would know God more intimately. It, 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 in our time, there's a study, it's a little bit old, but it said that three out of four people believe in God. Three out of four people believe in God. Seven out of 10 people believe that Jesus is the son of God. But if you look at the actions of those outside of those, of people in our culture, if you look at the action of people's on Black Friday at Walmart, throwing elbows, trying to get that deal, <laughs> right? If you, look at, if you look at the actions, it's hard to believe that seven out of 10 people really think that Jesus is the son of God. And so what I want us to get to a place is that Revive as a church, us as a people, have an impact on our community in a way that says, you know what, when you look at Covington, I really believe those stats. I really believe that seven out of 10 of people there know that Jesus is Lord. And that's going to 
the whole goal of this series. And this is really important. It's really important that we, we kind of dive in and become fully devoted. Uh, growing up, I, I played a lot of football. Believe it or not, I enjoyed the sport. I know I was kind of small, wasn't really built for football, but I did, okay? <laughs> but no, we used to have this drill when I played in high school called the Oklahoma drill. And you lay down, you got two people laying down, they're almost helmet to helmet, but they're on their backs and they're facing opposite directions. And the coach would blow the whistle. When he blow the whistle, you had to stand up as fast as you could and then just hit each other. Like, like that was the only purpose of it. I don't really know how it made you better at football, but it was like beginning of the year. We haven't been able to wear pads. It's time to just, you know, hit each other. And so you, what you do, you lay down, you blow the whistle, you flip up, and you'd run, and you'd kind of look at the other line, and you try to time it up with somebody that maybe you're a little bit bigger than, right? So, so you know that when you hit them, it's not going to hurt, but it might hurt them, right? Don't judge me. Okay, I'm not who I was, all right? But but there's this sense of of, like, trying to just drill somebody, And we had this guy, I'm not going to say his name, but he was playing football kind of because he wanted to be cool, but he didn't really even like football, didn't know the rules, was afraid of contact, kind of small. And we had another guy that was like really mean, like nobody really even liked him, but he was really mean, which makes you good at football. And somehow they ended up facing off against each other, right? And you can see the other kid, he's like literally shaking. He's so scared. And, you know, culture in football is not that great, not that healthy, not that godly. And so everybody is like watching, afraid of what might happen because we know this kid is about to just get drilled. Coach blows the whistle. He goes limp before the guy ever gets there and gets cleaned out, right? And we're all go, oh, luckily nobody was injured. He got back up. But the coach stopped the drill after this moment and he called everybody in the circle and he said, I need to teach you guys a lesson about football, right? We're all like, okay, I mean, day one, we see this kid just got hit. We got it. You need to be tough. He's like, no, no, you have to fully commit. If you're playing the sport of football and there's about to be a con, about to be contact, about to be a hit, and you powered up, you try to dodge it, you don't lean into it, that's when you get injured. Talk, think about the NFL now and all the rules about, about making contact against somebody who is unaware, right? They're a defenseless player is the term. When you get into a situation where you're defenseless, your body's not ready to make that contact. You're not going at it with full force. You're not matching the contact that's coming to you. And that's when you get injured. He, 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 the coach took that moment and said, look, you have to be fully devoted to the hit. You have to give it all you have. If you take that moment and you decide not to go all in, you take that moment and decide to be defenseless, to cower back, that's when serious injuries happen. He's like, you have to protect yourself by being fully devoted. And there's this sense of when you look at the church today and you look at the way our culture is going, there's this sense of, of so many people who don't like church. They don't want to be one of those Christians. They don't want to be one of those people because there's been decades of people who are halfway Christian. They're just enough Christian to be miserable. They don't really know Jesus to the full extent, but they know they have to follow the rules. And so they just shove all the rules down these people's throat. And now they don't want any part of it because they've had every experience they've had with Christians have been people who weren't fully devoted. And when you're not fully devoted, you get bits and pieces of Christianity and it becomes more dangerous than healthy. So we have to get to a place where we're ready to go all in, to be fully devoted, to, to no longer be a Christi- Christian atheist, but to let God know, to know God intimately in every area of our life. We have to understand that just believing in God 
is not the same thing as knowing God. Titus 1.6, Paul is writing a letter, and he, this is what he says. He says that he's talking to people who have been talking, right? They're talking, 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 puff themselves up. I'm a Christian. I love God. I follow all the rules. Look at me. Look at me. And, and, and this is what Paul says. He says, those people that talk all the time, those people, they claim to know God, but their actions, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You've got these Pharisees that have spent their whole life making sure they look perfect on the outside, following all the rules, following, doing everything right. And Paul is saying on the outside, they look like they're doing everything right, but they're by their actions, they deny him. And they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. There's a difference between believing in God and knowing God. I'll give you an example. Y'all know Lauren is my wife, right? Well, growing up in high school, I was kind of the, the Christian kid, right? And so I hung out with, with people who aren't Christians, because let's be honest, sometimes they're a lot more fun than Christians. Okay, but I didn't say that out loud. But, but I, I, my, most of my friends were in high school. They would be drinking underage, but I was the good Christian kid, so I would make sure nothing bad happened to them. They called me dad of the group, right? Like I would drive them around. Dad, you can close your ears. Don't listen to this. All right. And I... <laughs> And I, and I would be the one to kind of keep the group safe and out of trouble and make sure they don't do anything too stupid. And that was kind of my role growing up. But I was known as the goody, the goody good, right? Because I didn't drink. I didn't do those things. But that my friends used to sit around and be like, George, one day you're going to find the perfect girl. And I was like, okay, whatever. I, I'd had a few relationships, but the, one of them, I dated this girl for a really long time. And I mean, just, I don't want to be mean. She's not who she was. But at the time she was kind of a stick in the mud, right? Very boring but she was a Christian and that was all that mattered to me. Then I realized that that relationship wasn't all that great. So I went to the other extreme and dated someone who wasn't a Christian and that was not a good relationship either. We'll just leave that where it's at. <laughs> right? And there's this place of, of, I'd been in a couple of relationships on a couple of extremes and, and unhappy in all of them. And my buddies would be like, dude, one day you're going to find somebody who loves Jesus, but also likes to have fun. They're going to find that person. And I believed this person was out there, right? I believed this person that was perfect for me that I would one day find was out there, but I didn't know her yet. And then I went to college and I started to, I kind of got this crush on this girl and I started trying to talk to her, but she didn't like me back. And so I was like, well, I'm going to try to get to her through one of her friends. Her friend's name was Lauren. And, <laughs> and at this point now, now I believe in Lauren because I've literally met her. And we would kind of, we would go on these walks and they started out just kind of walks because Lauren really wanted me to, to date her friend, right? And she was trying to be a good friend. But as I got to know Lauren more than just believe her, I got to know her, and I began to fall more and more in love with her. We began to talk about the, where we grew up and, and our families and, and how this happened and that happened, and I, I soon got to a place where I didn't even care about the other friend anymore. Like, I wanted to date Lauren. <laughs> and so we started a, a relationship, and we started dating. And, and at that point, I, I mean, I knew her, but I didn't know her like I do today. Eleven years later, we, we've gotten to know each other more and more and more. And, and now I can say that I deeply, intimately know her, right? I know her on a level, level I didn't know her in college because there's a difference between believing and knowing. But you see, I, I know that 
that what her favorite color is. I know what she likes to get at the restaurant. At, at Taco Bell, she literally gets the same thing every single time, right? I, I, know, I know what she likes to do to, to have fun. I know how she likes to pass the time. I know what her interests are. I even know some really quirky things about her, like when she gets her plate and she looks at those fries, she already knows what her last two French fries are going to be because she has studied it and she knows what the best fries are. And she doesn't tell anybody, but she is eyeballing those fries and she is saving them for the end. And if you just so happen to eyeball the same fry and decide you want to take it off your plate, that is the end of your day. (laughs) Do not touch the girl's fries, right? (laughs) So, so but I know her on a more intimate level than I ever knew her before. And you guys know kind of our tradition that we, I've told you a hundred times because I love it so much, but on our anniversary, how we always say there's one thing that we learned the past year about each other, because, because as time goes on, I continue to know her more and more intimately. We're always growing together. We're always learning something about each other. And that's what Paul is, is, is aiming at. That's what, what the, the Bible is about. That's what Jesus is trying to call us to, is into a deeper relationship with him, ever growing, ever growing more intimate, ever knowing him more and more. And so kind of what I want to do to kind of unpack this is the kind of the entry level, the beginning of this series, is just kind of talk about kind of the, the levels that we have of knowing God, the levels that when I look around and I study culture, the levels that I see what I want to say before I get into it is don't forget that we're all on different levels. If we're all in this timeline of getting to know Christ, there's some people that have known him longer, have grown deeper than others. And as long as you're on the timeline, it doesn't matter. You don't, we don't judge people because they're at a different spot than us. We have to make sure that we're always loving other people and loving them into a deeper relationship with Christ. But I want to look at this level, look at these levels and see if we can identify ourselves, see if we can identify others that we can love and, and, build up and disciple. The first place is, is some people believe in God, but they don't know him. This is, the, the, uh, Jesus even talks about, the Bible talks about that even the demons believe in him. They shudder at his name. But just because you believe in something doesn't mean you place your faith in it. Doesn't mean that you know it intimately. This is what we kind of get into, into the cultural Christian, where I went to grandma's church when I was eight and went to the altar, so I'm good, and I'm saved. And you live your life however you want, but there was a time where you went to church on Easter and Christmas, and so you call yourself a Christian. First John 2, 3 through 4 says that we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. And this is, this is such an intense verse that's saying, hey, life following Christ, knowing him is more than just an experience you had when you were eight. It's more than just uh, uh, going to church on Christmas. It's more than just praying when life gets hard, that there's this sense of, of lit, reading God, knowing his commands, and going the extra distance. There's people who spend their whole life in the church pew and won't end up in heaven because all they've done their whole life is try to save themselves through their actions, save themselves through doing, being a good person. But being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. Believing in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, that's what gets us there. That's what makes this life worth living. I heard one pastor say that there are people who are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, which is the difference between your head and your heart. That their whole faith is wanting to know God more about him, know the theology, know the actions, but it never reaches their heart. It never becomes their, their life's intention, their life's devotion. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says this. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. This is literally the scariest verse in all of the Bible to me. People who have spent their entire life having others look at them and say, look, I did this. I went to church. I prayed. I sang on the worship team. I played guitar. I led the small group. I did all of these things, all these things. And all it was was them stacking up a pile of things, trying to save themselves, never letting Jesus be their Lord, but saying, hey, I've been good enough. They view, they view their life as this scale, right? And as long as the good side is better than the bad side, then they're good. They're set. And so their whole life is spent prophesying, doing things in church, what, would, what, what they've been taught is Christianity. But Christianity is not our actions, it's the relationship with Christ. And that's what, Paul, that's what we're getting at here. There's people who live their whole life believing that God is there, but never intimately knowing him. We have to get to the next step beyond just actions, beyond just a head faith, a head religion. It has to be a heart faith. The second group is the people who, who believe in him and know him, but they don't know him well, right? So kind of to illustrate this, my brother, uh, me and him are a lot alike. We both like sports. He's a big baseball fan like I am, and he actually knows Big Poppy. So if you, don't, if you know who Big Poppy is, he's like a Hall of Fame baseball player, played for the Red Sox for a really long time. Um, I, I think it was last summer, my brother's on a work trip in Boston, and he uh, is on this elevator going to the bottom floor. The elevator opens up, and in walks Big Poppy, right? This famous Hall of Famer baseball player walks in, surrounded by his entourage, and my brother's like making small talk with them. Da, da, da. He's like, oh man, I want to get a, can I get a picture with you? Big Poppy's like, yeah, let's wait till we get to the bottom. So they get to the bottom, and uh, Big Poppy starts to walk away and forgets about the picture, <laughs> and Franklin's like, I don't want to be that guy so he just lets him walk away and so he knows him right like they've met they've had a conversation but he doesn't really know him well I mean Big Poppy would probably see him again and be like dude I don't know you right there's this sense of knowing somebody is different from knowing them well and this is this is where I found myself for a very long time because I prayed and I would read the Bible and I had moments where where God would answer prayers and I had experiences with him but I was more informed about Jesus and not yet transformed by him. See, there's a difference between being informed and yet being transformed. Galatians 4, 8 through 9 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. There are things that ruled your life that were not of God. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, there's that intimacy of knowing, right? How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? There's this sense of having something that owns your life, that you're a slave to. And then then Jesus enters in your life and you experience God and you know the power, you know the beauty, you see the beauty in the cross of Jesus dying for our sins. And in that moment, you, you, you surrender your life to Christ. And I really believe in this moment, I'm not saying that you're not going to heaven or that you don't know Jesus. I'm just saying that there's a difference between knowing him and knowing him well. Because there's a tendency to say, I, I experienced him, but I'm gonna go back to the things that enslaved me before. There's, I experienced him, but I don't know him well enough to keep 
experiencing him. The fact that it's this ongoing relationship, that we continue to grow in him and continue to know him. We have to let God be the ruler of our life. We have to realize that it's more than just a one-time experience. It's more than just a, a being informed about him. We have to let him transform the whole of our body. And that leads us to the third thing. We have to know him intimately and serve him wholeheartedly. This is the ultimate goal. This is where we're going. This is where when Jesus is talking about, I've come to give you the full life, the abundant life, the rich life, the heaven on earth. In John 10, 10, when Jesus is talking about that, this is how we achieve that. This is how we experience that, that whole abundance of life by serving him wholeheartedly and knowing him intimately. If you've ever been at a place where you've gone through uh, some kind of trial, like Lauren was talking about with her mom, one of the hardest things I've ever been through, being up there, experiencing the pain and the hurt that all these people that I love so intimately were going through. But it's in those moments, so she talked about that song, the reason we sang it this morning. It's in those moments where we're driving in the car and the song comes on and we're both just crying and weeping and singing at the top of our lungs because it's in that moment where God's voice is louder than I've ever heard it before, where I'm hurting so bad and I know God so intimately that he's like a a dad wrapping me up in his arms saying, I know you're hurting, but I'm here for you. I know you're going through a lot, but I love you. There's this place of being intimate with God where you know his voice. You see his hand in your life daily. You're actively walking with him. You're aware of his presence. Worship is this natural overflow of of your life. We talked about it in the prayer series. You pray for a parking spot close to the front because it's raining and you get it. And in that moment, you enter into this amount of worship that's unbelievable over a piece of concrete, right? Because worship is an overflow of your heart because you're so in love and you see God working in your life daily. It's not about getting the right things. It's not about a magic happy pill, but it's about being so intimately in love with Jesus that you worship him constantly. You know his voice. Psalm 63, David is saying this. He says, you, God, are my God. Imagine, imagine this is your life. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. I love to read the Psalms, the, the, the poetry, the beauty in that. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and I will lift, and in your name I will lift up my hands. How beautiful is that? He knows God in this place where his whole life is worship. In a way that you can kind of see where you stand on this spectrum, a way that you, where you can kind of see where, what level you're at, is what do you call God? Because what you call somebody kind of tells you how intimately you know them, right? There are people who call me and they're like, can I speak to Mr. Claycomb? Uh, Dude, you're a telemarketer. You don't even know how to say my last name. Bye, right? (laughs) They don't know me at all. And there are people who call me Pastor George, right? And, you know, Pastor George, you guys probably know some, some things about me. You could probably tell stories that I've told you over and over and over again, right? There, there's this, this somewhat intimate level that you know me. Uh, there are people who call me George, right? People that I grew up with, people that I work with, family, friends, most of you guys, <laughs> right? There's this sense of, of George as, as another level of intimacy. People will know me. There, um, there's one person in particular for now that calls me dad, right? 
And Addie Lee knows me like none of you know me, except for Lauren, which I'm getting there. (laughs) There's this sense of she, she knows my heart better than anybody. She calls me dad. There's someone in this room that calls me sexy. <laughs> okay, I'm going to leave that there. But, but you get it, you get it, right? There's <laughs> Lauren knows me better than anybody. She knows me better than Addie Lee. Like, like there, if, if, <laughs> there's this sense of, of absolutely being intimately in love with Lauren. And, and there's a connection there that nobody else has right? I talked about that at the beginning. Like I know I can walk into a room and know that she's been there because of the perfume she wears. I could smell her. There's this sense of, of intimately knowing her like nobody else on this planet. There's this sense of when you know somebody, what you call them can be an indicator of how well you know them. And this is so, and, and I don't want to, again, I don't, you don't judge people because they're at a different spot because I've heard people pray for the first time and they're like kind of unsure of even what to call God. Like, where do I start? Right. And they're like, um, God, it's me. It's George. I haven't talked to you in a while ever. Never talked to you, but you know, and there's this uncomfortable, they don't really know him that well, but there's a beauty. There's a beauty in that first prayer of wanting to get to know him. Right. Then you have, you have, you know, maybe you say, you know, dear six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, right. (laughs) Whatever you call God, there's these things that, that indicate Lord, King, Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. There's a sense of what you call God can indicate where you are intimately with him. How often do you pray? And when you're praying, what do you call God? I'm not saying this isn't legalism. I'm not saying you have to say one thing or the other. It's more of where your heart is. How well do you know him? Psalm 9, uh, verse 10 says, For those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. See, for most of my life, not most of my life, but for a lot of my life, I would say that if I died, I was going to heaven. I was a believer. I would pray. I would read my Bible. But I was very legalistic in my faith. I was very afraid that if I didn't do the right thing or say the right thing, God would smite me and send me to hell. And it was more of a fear-based relationship. And the truth is, God is not a fear-based God. He's a love-based God. And then there's this moment in college where I was at a worship night, and that for the first time ever, I heard the, the whole message, it's, it's a relationship, not a religion. And in that moment, God broke me because I realized he's not this person lording over me, making sure I'm doing all the right things. But it was somebody who died on the cross that wanted a relationship with me so much that he gave his own life. He stepped down out of heaven. He experienced the pain of being stabbed in the back. He experienced the pain of being abused. He experienced that pain and hung on a cross and was, was put in a grave, but defeated death and rose again. And that was God. That was my God that I've known my whole life who did that for me. And in that moment, I I realized that this is not about a religion, but it's about a relationship and it's about knowing him. And it's that wanting to know him more personally and more deeply that drives me. Because as we get to know him, we're transformed. Our actions follow knowing him, not the other way around. Our heart breaks for the things that, that breaks his heart. We learn to forgive quickly. We learn to be generous. We learn to care about the poor. We learn to have compassion for those who are outcasts. We hunger for his presence. We're quick to share our faith. We, we grieve over sin. We see, start to see the fruits of the spirit in our life and we desire to worship and pray all the time. And this comes by getting to know him. 
And so what's the secret? What's the secret? How do we move from level one to level three? How do we go from believing and not knowing to know him intimately and worshiping him and following him wholeheartedly? It's very simple. It's very simple. If you seek him, you will find him. That's all. I always like to have a practical part of my message, and a lot of times it takes up the most of the message. But today I wanted to identify the issues. The practical part is easy. Desire him. Seek him. Pray. Read the Bible. Listen to podcasts. Whatever it takes, watch documentaries. Whatever it takes, desire him more than the things of this world, and you will grow more intimately with him. We talked about Lauren's mom, and we used to pray all the time because she was a believer, but she was kind of in that second stage. And we used to pray all the time that she would just get to a place where God would beat her everything and not just her sometimes. And and then she got this cancer. And I want to say first off, God didn't give her cancer. God's original design was never cancer, but God can use the things that are meant for evil for his good. And in that moment, she began to seek him, seek him for healing, seek him for not just herself. She began praying for her son. She began praying for an ex-husband. She began praying for all these people because she began seeking God and knowing his heart. It was more than just surviving cancer. She fell so deeply in love with who he was. And there were people who found salvation. There were people who found life because of her ordeal. Because she got to a place where she was seeking God more than anything else in this world, he transformed not only her, but people around her. That's how we get there. My prayer for you, and what I hope is your prayer for me, is Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. If you want to write it down so you can go home and write it on a mirror, print it out and put it in your car or something, this needs to be our prayer because this is the secret to knowing him more. This is the secret for moving out of a Christian atheist worldview. Verse 17 says to I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. The prayer is simple. I pray that the eyes of your heart are open, that the things of this world will drive you into a deeper seeking of who he is. Let's get to know God better. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how long you haven't been a Christian. It doesn't matter whether life is going great or not. life's not going great at all. Whatever your circumstances are, wherever you are on the spectrum, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we are seeking God with all of our heart. Let's let that be our driving force this holiday season. Let's let that be what takes us into the Thanksgiving gatherings, into the Christmas uh, craziness and all the shopping. Let's let the fact that we want to know God intimately and we want our neighbor to know him intimately. And let's see how that transforms our holiday season. Let's see how that transforms our church and our city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you will open the eyes of every heart in this room that things would drive us into a deeper relationship. When we wake up in the morning and we see the sun, we'd want to know you more intimately. When we're drinking that beautiful first cup of coffee, Lord, that it would drive us into your word because we know that you brew in Hebrews. That was a bad joke. Lord, I just pray that, that you would, every little thing, the simple things of life, a conversation with the spouse, the, the smile of our kid, uh, getting the 
stuck in traffic, whatever it may be, may just drive us to know you more deeply. Let us have an intimate relationship where we know you well and are fully devoted to you, that we would follow you wholeheartedly, surrendering every aspect of our life, even the tough areas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.